to your weekly music and entertainment fix. Backstage with Sinead Nivorda. With all the best music, interviews and live sessions. On Radio Nova. And his backstage is dedicated to the inimitable and wonderful David Bowie. And joining me now is uh, Mr. Dave Fanning. Dave, thanks so much for joining me on the line. I know you've had the chance to interview David Bowie over the years, but what did Bowie mean to you as an artist? Well, funnily enough, somebody asked me today about Michael Jackson, who's bigger, sold more records. In fact, one Michael Jackson album thriller might be just about the accumulation of about 80% of David Bowie's, <laughs> who knows? And uh, he hit more countries, hit more people. He meant nothing to me. I mean, like, I was there for it all, but I don't really care. Oh, sorry, I don't know, I don't care, but it just doesn't really hit me. Um, David Bowie meant everything to me. He meant everything to me, from particularly Space Odyssey, up to about, sort of, I don't know, maybe Scary Monsters and stuff. A lot of the stuff in the 80s and 90s I loved, listened to, dipped into, but never really sort of um, followed as much as I probably should have. Um, but it doesn't matter, the first 10 albums, it stayed with me forever. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. He changed everything. He just really seemed to have a personal connection with people, didn't he? Like, people are genuinely upset. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of... Like, people often look back on um, that April in 1972. Dylan Jones has a book all about just that, Top of the Pops, Starman, Five Minutes, and you've got to understand that there was no YouTubes and no other way of ever seeing anything. And it just opened so many doors. It opened the closet for an awful lot of people to say, cheaper. Mm. if he can do it, I can do it. And above all, if your parents didn't like it, you liked it even more. And that was a major thing. Yeah. But by then, I was a major Bowie aficionado because I loved the space out of the album, loved the man who sold the world. And then, obviously, Hunky Dory had some of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. So by, by, by Ziggy Stardust, which is what I'm talking about there, I was just a major fan. He still had great music coming up in the next four or five albums, particularly for me. I mean, I loved Aladdin Sane. I liked Diamond Dogs. I loved Space in the Station. Mm. And then the whole new thing of the Berlin four albums. Well, mm. people say three, but it's actually four albums. So there's lots of stuff. But Let's Dance, his biggest hit then after that into the 80s, yeah, I wasn't, it wasn't really my thing totally. And an awful lot of the next albums from Tonight and Never Let Me Down and Heathen and Reality and all those, I listened and liked and loved David Bowie and bow down in front of him, but they weren't top of my list at the end of every year. Yeah, more the Ziggy stuff and the Soul stuff as well. And I was watching actually Five Years last night, um, which was phenomenal to see him change through all his different kind of uh, guises and, and just the making of all those different albums. But another thing that struck me about that was his actual natural ability at switching to the acting stage. Um, his portrayal of the Elephant Man was phenomenal. Do you recall any of the acting stuff uh, oh, yeah. from Bowie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember all that stuff. It wouldn't be that I would particularly think he was as good an actor as some people thought he was, but he was well capable of it. I never saw him on stage doing the Elephant Man, yeah. but I saw all those movies, like when he played the one with Susan Sarandon as Mr. Blaylock, who was, you know, sort of aging 20 years every single day. I always thought that was quite a good one, even though it was a strange kind of movie with Catherine Deneuve. I thought the man who, he's what he called, the man who fell to earth, was typically Nicholas Roy using a spaceman. I thought, yeah, okay, fine, Bowie fits this, but yeah. is it really that good? Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Yeah, I don't know necessarily. But a lot of the stuff, in terms of the actual acting stuff that I ever saw him do, I still thought the best thing he did, bizarrely, was when he had completely and absolutely retired from the world, which was 2006, The Prestige, for Christopher Nolan, where he played your man, Nikolai Tes- uh, Tesla. And he was brilliant, I thought, in that, and really suited it well. I mean, he did play in Basquiat, 
he played um, uh, Andy Warhol, and a lot of people loved his portrayal of uh, Andy yeah. Warhol in that. I, well, my jury's out on that one, you know. I mean, like, mm. I like David Bowie for his flaws as well, for what I consider to be a lot of the stuff that he would have released wouldn't have necessarily been brilliant. But mm. cheaper, he released so much brilliant stuff as well. That's the way you want it. You don't want everything to be perfect. Yeah, that's right. He wasn't afraid and, and you know, he was fierce about it. He was completely fearless. And uh, yeah, it was amazing watching his early stuff for Brian Eno and how he didn't necessarily want it to be anything as such or a song as such. It would just go with the mood and atmosphere. But, uh, you know, after hearing different reports, you know, it sounds like he was also a true gentleman. Like stories are being shared, like when he was Dublin uh, offering to help a guy with a vegetable delivery and making faces at kids in a passing car. And, you know, having met, you know, you met him yourself on a number of occasions. So what was it that struck you about him when you met him in person? Well, I don't know. I mean, I suppose you could say if you meet a lot of people, they don't really seem very star-like, or you meet a lot of people and they're about four foot smaller <laughs> yeah. than you thought they were. Yeah. He was star-like and he was tall, and he was very confident. He was kind of very compelling, and he would certainly make sure that you were on your toes. It was a very friendly conversation, the five or six times, whatever. Yeah. Particularly, some were more friendly than others. I mean, one oh. of the first ones was in... Um, was in London in the Hilton Hotel for the, just before that last biter. I wouldn't have considered that to be one of the best ones. But in, in New York in a studio one day for the afternoon, he was just as cool as BJ's. He really was around the black tie, whatever you call it, that album time. And he was really nice and really cool. But he's always very engaging and he kind of keeps you on your toes, expects you to not necessarily understand everything he's saying and all the references he's making and all the collaborators and all the kind of things that influence him but if you don't know that's fine just as long as you um, understand what he's saying and maybe you'll leave the interview and go off and check up and see who it is he's talking about there's a bit more going on <laughs> yeah there really was wasn't there he, I guess it sounds like he liked a bit of a, a challenging kind of uh, conversation for sure yeah but I mean challenging in the very best way he wasn't exactly yeah. putting you like on your toes to the point where you were freaking out either you know yeah. yeah, elusive, I guess, wasn't he? He was elusive at times and wanted to get you thinking. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was, definitely, yeah. Oh, what a dude. Well, Dave Fanning, thank you so much for having the chat with me today. And uh, yeah, thanks for sharing your thoughts on the amazing icon who was David Bowie. He was indeed. And thanks a million. Fair play to Sinead.
David Bowie, a music hero for many people of varying music tastes, varying ages, backgrounds. He was a hero to punks, a hero to kids at home, and a hero to the LGBT community. He broke the rules, he challenged people's views with his gender bending and image reinventions and being such a music 